0: Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Samar. On today's program we're going to be speaking about the aftermath of the earthquakes that took place in southern Turkey. They affected uh, hundreds of thousands if not millions of people. So far over uh, 19,000 people have been, the death toll has reached 19,000 people or more and that number is expected to continue to climb Um we're going to be speaking to reporters that are on the ground in southern Turkey. They're actually on the road to, uh, to a hospital um, in southern Turkey where uh, many of the injured are placed. These are field hospitals or makeshift hospitals that have been set up because the actual hospitals are too damaged. Um, that and also uh, more. So this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5. Back to True Talk on WMNF eighty eight point five with Ahmed and Summer. Summer is traveling. It's me in the studio, Ahmed Bedir. And on today's program, we're going to be speaking about the earthquakes, the massive earthquakes and aftershocks that took place in southern Turkey. That has impacted hundreds of miles and millions of people. Um, destroyed thousands of buildings. So far, the death toll is um, something like nineteen thousand people or more. And um, that is expected to continue to climb now in the third, going into the fourth day since the earthquakes. um, Hope for finding survivors is growing, uh, you know, uh, less and less. And efforts are uh, starting to take care of the survivors um, and the injured. I'm looking at the Google, you know, news website, where many people actually go to for the briefings and uh, top stories the top story um, is a pop a songwriter dies at 94 followed by the Chinese uh, spy balloon contain technology to monitor communication signals um, several so the top story is the spy the second story on there is uh, Turkey-Syria earthquake search for survivors continues followed by Ukraine- uh, live briefing. So, um, not a lot of stories are actually about the earthquake um, in the media, as far as uh, front pages. Uh, it's sporadic now, moving you know into the third day. Such a tragic event um, that's impacting thousands of people. Nineteen thousand people so far killed, and it's not wall-to-wall coverage. Um, but we're going to focus our show today about that. Of course, uh, we're praying for the people that lost their lives and um, the people that are survived the pe- injured so much. So much devastation, it's just hard to even describe uh, where to begin about the images that we're seeing uh, coming out of that region. I had a chance to speak to a couple of um, reporters, producers from Vice News who are actually on the ground in southern Turkey right now. The signal was spotty. Um, so we couldn't actually do a live interview and we couldn't even do an interview because the connection is so bad, we can't get a connection. But what we were able to do is something unique, which I haven't done on this show before, to do an interview over voice notes. So this is an interview first of its kind on this uh, show, maybe first of its kind on this station, where we're sending back and forth uh, voice notes uh, to those uh, to the reporters. In southern Syria, because uh, we couldn't get a solid connection. They're actually, they had landed in um, Antakya, um, one of the most devastated areas. Antakya is kind of a strip of land that dips um, in southern Syria along, uh, in southern Turkey along with the Syria border and is on the Mediterranean Sea. Um, And uh, a lot of the destruction happened there. And they had uh, gone there yesterday, and they were trying to return back to the hospital, uh, field hospital. Uh, there, of course, they travel back and forth because there's no adequate shelter or you know hotels or places to stay in Antakya. So they go back and forth to either Gaziantep, which is another city that was also hit uh, hard, uh, but there you know it's it, it's sporadic. So. This is the interview that I had conducted um, through this mechanism. I'm going to play it for you. This was just done, like, you know, in the last hour. In fact, as I was driving to the station, they were still sending me messages. Um, They may continue to send me messages because uh, the interview actually never finished. Uh, I think they lost signal. So I'm going to start that now. This is again, I'm speaking to uh, Vice News uh, producer uh, Leman Ariane was actually born in Tampa and grew up here and now is with vice news and uh, hind um, uh, hind Hassan who's also an award winning both of them award winning journalists um, with vice news and um, I think this should work let's try this as of internet connection uh Hi, Lema. This is Ahmed from True Talk, and um, I'm doing something a little different for the radio show today. Uh, having conversation with you over voice notes because of internet connection, uh, the internet connection and signals being spotty in the um, earthquake area that you're in. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the aftermath of the earthquake, what you've seen so far, what you and uh, your colleagues are doing, and um, basically describing the situation there so uh what is your team your uh, vice news team doing on the ground there and what have you seen so far
1: Hi, Ahmed. Yes, that's right. The phone lines here are very bad. Basically, connections are in and out because a lot of the towers were damaged during the earthquake. um, And we've kind of been stuck in traffic all day trying to get to a hospital um, near a place where we were filming yesterday. It's a field hospital because the main one has been damaged. Um, Yesterday, we landed in Adana, uh, which was pretty badly hit, uh, but not as bad as other areas. So we drove straight to Antakia, um, which is an area that hasn't really received um, as much emergency aid, I think because it's much more difficult to get to. The roads were very bad, and when we got there, every single house on these two blocks um, were completely destroyed, and people were just gathered outside, and everybody had somebody um, under the rubble that they were hoping to save. Uh, or that person had already passed away and they were just trying to take their body and the scenes there were extremely emotional um people crying you know begging rescue workers to go into the house um but a lot of the houses were basically too damaged for people to start digging in because a lot of them were leaning and uh rescue workers have to determine you know if it's safe enough to go into the house but the scenes of catastrophe were like nothing i've ever ever seen before We got to the site about 40 hours after the earthquake hit, and so we were not expecting to see any survivors whatsoever. Um, Even people were saying, yesterday I was speaking to my cousin under the rubble, today I haven't been able to hear from him. They were all just hanging around outside, um, trying to figure out what to do. we saw rescue workers not just from Turkey, there are people from many different countries. We, there was a Spanish rescue team that had uh, dogs to, that were there to try to um, figure out if people were alive or not. Um, we saw a woman from Brazil who was there and uh, you know many different nationalities, they were all just trying to help. Um, these areas were completely cut off from food, from water. Um, the people were just sleeping outside, it was freezing cold. Um, and they were basically in just a big shock and daze. Nobody knew what to do. Nobody had a plan. Um, and when we asked them, where are you sleeping? They said, we're just staying here for now. They, they had nowhere to go. When we first arrived.
0: Uh, you're listening to a conversation. It's actually done an interview that I've done over voice notes. Uh, this is True Talk on WMNF. So this uh, conversation just took place about an hour ago, um, because the signals and uh, connections in southern Turkey after the earthquake are so bad, we couldn't have a, uh, a live conversation or even a conversation that can be recorded. So the interview is done over voice notes. The ding sound that you hear is basically the end of the voice note. And now Lemel Aryan is turning the phone over to um, her colleague a, um, with Vice News, a reporter, uh, journalist, uh, Hind Hassan. And this is her voice.
2: In Antakya, it was really difficult to take in the scale of the devastation of What had happened to these communities, to the homes and the work that the emergency volunteers and services had ahead of them to try and rescue as many lives and people as they can. As soon as we got there, we saw a group of rescue workers uh, digging away at this pile of rubble that was once a home. And somebody told us that they believed there were four people who were underneath the rubble and that they were possibly alive there was another house that was very close next to that one and they believe that there were two people who were also stuck in in the rubble Uh, under the rubble in that building and these emergency workers were desperately digging away, trying to get towards them. Every now and then everyone would be told to be quiet and there would be this eerie silence that would just fall on the entire area as people listened out for any form of life and then they would start digging again. Uh, They brought in machines to try and help move some of the huge rocks out of the way and try and get closer to the people who they believed were alive. Obviously it's an incredibly Difficult and dangerous and complicated uh, process to go through because you don't want to injure the people who were inside any further. Then, um, after a couple of hours, a few bodies, a couple, two bodies were pulled out of one of the buildings, um, which was devastating for everyone who was there because you know, that little bit of hope that people had that slowly starts disappearing. Everyone is really aware that every single second counts and with every minute that goes, people's lives are at risk. But then it was not so long after that, then there was some commotion in the building, the second building, and all the rescue workers started focusing on that building. And there was some excitement and we didn't really know what was happening. And then somebody said, he's alive, he's alive. And then uh, a man, is pulled out of the rubble, it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. It was truly a miracle. We saw this man being pulled out of the rubble. He was talking. um, He was aware and awake. And when the medics started um, talking to him and and checking him, they later told me that they think he was going to make a complete recovery, which. was just you know just it was such great news and you could see the relief and all the rescue workers faces and how you know happy they were that this man made it out alive that is why they are there that is why so many people have dropped everything that's going on in their lives to travel all the way to turkey and syria in order to help anyone if there's one person that they could save then they would do that and that's what happened here but sadly, it transpired that his wife was also under the rubble and there was hope that she might be brought out alive as well. But the rescue dogs were brought in. And after a moment, they they left and the rescue workers stopped looking because it was believed that she didn't make it. So with you know those little bits of hope, there's also so much tragedy that we're seeing everywhere in these places and the rescue workers are saying that despite what you're seeing and all the work that's being done they need more help they need more supplies they need more aid into these regions and we're just talking about turkey here there's syria is facing so many complications it's very difficult to get access to syria from the crossings um in turkey as a result of all the damage that's caused to the roads you also have the syrian government who are blocking aid or they can control where aid goes that comes in through damascus so you have huge communities in syria that's that are absolutely desperate and that are clinging on to any bit of hope that they can have but they just do not have enough resources to be able to deal um to respond to this disaster in an appropriate way as a result of that but what we saw in this small place in Antakya was the much needed hope that is needed Sorry, I said that again, what we saw in Antakya was a much-needed hope that people cling on to in these times of huge heartbreak. And after that man was pulled out of the rubble, about an hour later, another man was pulled out of the first home. Again, he was the only person to have survived out of a number of people they thought may have still been alive under the rubble. But every life counts and anyone who's brought out alive is you truly I'm gonna I'm gonna restart that bit again I'm gonna send you this and then restart the bit again from the the second man alive about an hour
0: uh you're listening to true talk on WMNF 80.5 that's a conversation with uh, Hind Hassan we didn't have time to edit it as you can see this is just basically raw tape it's, uh, the interview is done in a series of voice notes where I send uh, them voice notes and they reply. I'm speaking to Hind Hassan and uh, Lema Aryan They're both with Vice News. They arrived on the ground in Turkey um, yesterday and uh, they're describing the um, scenes that they were witnessing and the destruction that's there. So here she actually says that she's going to send this uh, last piece again because she wants to make a, a correction uh, to what she was saying. So Uh, Interesting stuff, but about a tragic, uh, a very tragic uh, event that's impacting the world right now. and Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are impacted. Um, So far, the death toll is uh, 19,000 people died and tens of thousands more are injured. And those numbers are expected to climb as they continue to uh, find bodies under the rubble. This is uh, continuing with Hind Hassan from Vice News.
2: After the first man was pulled out alive, there was movement again at the first building that we had come across. Rescue workers descended there. By this time, it was night, uh, nighttime, and it was very, very dark, and they were working against the clock, and they then also managed to pull out of the rubble after so much work someone else another man who was alive and i'll never forget his face he was smiling like nearly laughing when he was being taken away when he was put on the stretcher because of how relieved he was i don't know the full details and the full story but we understand that there were other people who they believed were alive next to him but the rescue workers after they pulled him out believed that the others did not make it so he was truly a miracle survivor and his face
1: i'll never forget that image of just how relieved he was over the last few days i think a lot of the media coverage was focused on the little miracles coming out of the rubble the people who are still alive under there you know all of the stories
0: this is of- la malaria
1: unfortunately now that it's been over 72 hours it's been you know almost four days since the earthquake um it's going to be a lot more devastating. Uh, The question now is what happens next? I mean, I think these people um, say that they need a lot of help and that the international community needs to mobilize. Um, They need to send, you know, teams, more and more teams to help remove the rubble in a safe way, to try to get the bodies of their loved ones back, to be able to bury them in dignity. And that's going to take a lot of work. I mean, today, just the roads were... Closed, there was, there seemed to be a lot of help going towards Antakya. Um, but these people, their lives have been completely upended, and we asked them, you know, what do you see for the future? They say, we see no future. They're just in complete, complete shock. A lot of the people in the neighborhood we were in in Antakya um, spoke Arabic uh, because they're the Arab speaking Turks. And they were all coming up to me and saying, you know, I have five relatives in this house, they're dead, but we need to just get their bodies. Um, and it just kept happening to me over and over. Um, some people were extremely emotional. There was a big digger there. I think that was being operated by people from the neighborhood. And they were just begging um, the operator to help them remove some rubble so they can retrieve their cousin. He was a 21-year-old who was trapped under the rubble and he had a dog, a golden retriever with him who was coming in and out one of the collapsed windows he was somehow being able to fit in and the dog had the kid's wallet or he had the man's wallet and he had his phone um, and he kept going in and out basically to tell them he's still alive but there was no way to go into that building without the building collapsing I could even see with my eyes it was leaning towards the front way too much it was leaning towards the front way too much and um So the father of the 21-year-old basically stopped the digger with his body from moving. He just sat by the wheel and he said, you're not going anywhere, please. And he started, you know, sobbing in the street. Um, But eventually he was consoled. And then, yeah, Um, I think that's it for that story. I think the most devastating and shocking thing to me was seeing just how much was destroyed in 80 seconds, Um, just how much history that's in this area, all of the people's lives. Um, We walked into this neighborhood in Antakya, and there was a man just standing on top of the collapsed mosque, you know, trying to look for all of the pages of the Quran and the books that were spread around everywhere and he had made like a pile of them um, to kind of take them away safely.
0: you're just uh, joining us, this is True Talk. on WMNF88.5. I'm actually speaking um, through voice notes, an interesting way to conduct an interview or a conversation for radio uh, because the internet connection of my uh, guests is spotty where they are. They're actually in southern Turkey um, covering the aftermath of the earthquakes. I'm uh, speaking with Vice News uh, producer and reporter Lemel Aryan and uh, Hind Hassan. And um, speaking to both of you, either of you can maybe take this question. Um, now that the window of uh, rescue is closing, because now it's been days after the earthquake, uh, as you mentioned, the, the voices and the people um, are from, coming from under the rubble are less and less. Uh, how is uh, the attention now? What, what is the shift going to uh, go to? Is it just retrieving the bodies? Right now, the death uh, toll is uh, something like over 17,500. People are anticipating that to continue to rise because there's so many buildings that have collapsed. Um, what do you expect the uh, you know, shift? How will things shift there? Is it more towards uh, reconstruction, uh, putting people's lives back together? Are people gonna even be able to recover? I mean, you know, if you compare it to something like a hurricane in America, it took years for uh, New Orleans to recover from Katrina. And that was, you know, a few miles. Uh, in your area, you're talking about 250, 300 mile radius for this destruction. Um, so how do you anticipate things will shift? And um, I also have some more questions for you, but I'll wait f- to hear your response.
2: Yeah, that's um, an interesting question and it's one that a lot of people are asking right now. The location that we went, the focus was still on trying to save as many people as they possibly could. Obviously, that time is running out and soon there will be very little hope, if at all. We know that in some areas of southeastern Turkey, they, they have actually stopped trying to look for people who are alive, but the search and rescue is still continuing in other places in terms of what happens next, the communities that we've been to, that we've seen and the people that we've spoken to, they are in so much shock. They don't even know where they are sleeping tonight or tomorrow, let alone what the future holds. In fact, Uh, Having a conversation with a few people. I said to them. What what will you do next? Do you have any idea at all and they don't they don't have their phones They don't have their lives. They don't have anything that they once owned. It's all under the rubble They don't even know how they're going to communicate with people to start rebuilding Um, Some people have gone further into Turkey to go stay with family, some are staying in shelters and receiving uh, help, but I think it will become more clear in, as the weeks go by what the next step is, what the, the plan is. In Turkey, there is, the government has, as we all know, announced a state of uh, emergency and they will be, they say that they'll be providing provisions to try and help people as much as they can. Uh, I'm not too aware of exactly what the, the those particular steps will be and what support that they will be receiving. But I think there's still a huge humanitarian focus on Syria because there are communities there that we don't even know what's happened or what support they're getting or if they've even been reached. And the lack of aid that's going into Syria or the obstacles that are being faced by charities and NGOs and human rights organisations to get into Syria to see what's happening there That is a whole other thing that people are still grappling with and and trying to deal with uh, because there are victims, potential victims after this earthquake. So there are people who have survived this earthquake, but if they do not get the support that they desperately need now in terms of shelter, in terms of aid, then there could be many more victims way after these uh, earthquakes have have finished. I'm not sure that that last line.
0: Um, you're listening to a interview I just did a less than an hour ago um, in an interesting way through voice notes. This is True Talk on WMNF, by the way, and I'm speaking to reporters with Vice News. Uh, these are award-winning reporters. They usually go to war zones and disaster areas, and now they just arrived and landed in southern Turkey to cover the aftermath of the earthquake. I'm speaking to Hind Hassan and Lama Al-Aryan, who are doing this coverage. So. Whenever you hear these voice notes and at the end there's like a beep, I'm doing this over WhatsApp. So there wasn't, the signal wasn't strong enough to actually have a live conversation. So we sent a bunch of um, like, you know, messages or audio notes back and forth and are the responses. So that's what you're listening to. This is the voice of Hind Hassan, unedited. So sometimes it's just basically a conversation like, hey, I don't know if that made sense, but this is what I meant.
2: I made total sense. I'm just going to repeat that again. But there are thousands of people who have been killed in this earthquake. There are so many victims. But there are also people who miraculously survived these earthquakes. But they're in desperate need of help and support in terms of shelter, in terms of somewhere warm to stay. It's still very cold in parts of Syria and, and also Turkey. And without aid, without support, without amenities and food and warmth, then there is still the possibility of many, many more victims and many more people dying as a result of this earthquake and the impact that it's had.
1: Yeah, as Hind was saying, there are people who miraculously survived this earthquake and I think the next priority will be...
0: Now you're listening to the voice of uh, Laman ...you
1: know, find shelter, find running water, find food, um, and to just help them you know, deal with rebuilding their lives and grasping the fact that their entire, not just home, but their entire community, the places they grew up, their history is completely gone. There are also a lot of Syrians uh, or Syrian refugees living here who haven't been able to go back and uh, cross over the border to see their families. But we do know that today they were able to send the bodies of their family members back to be buried in Syria. Um, that was something that the government here allowed. Um, so they were just sending bodies upon bodies across the border today, uh, to be buried. We're actually on our way now to a hospital. Um, you know, the number of people who have been injured are in the tens of thousands. And we know that hospitals that have been closer to the epicenter of the earthquake have been completely damaged that many people have been treated in makeshift in makeshift hospitals outside
2: we're now three days post earthquake and we know that by this time the chances of survival for people who are stuck in the rubble are down to single digits um, we hear from medical sources that uh, it's probably down to about five to ten percent survival right now if even that and so at some point i think in the next few days there will be a refocus into uh, starting to rebuild or trying to um allow electricity, water, immunities, to get back into the communities so that people can even start to begin to to think about what the next steps are and how they will rebuild these communities and whether they can even rebuild them. The state of emergency that was announced in Turkey, uh, which will last for a number of months, is aimed to allow uh, money and finances, economy and aid to be able to be uh, put into the ten provinces that were most affected by this earthquake. And so I think we'll start hearing more from um, the international community and from Turkey and uh, from charities that are inside Syria about what the next steps are and, and how they are going to potentially take on this absolutely huge task, which will take years.
0: This is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with your host, Ahmed. I'm speaking to Lema Laryen and Hind Hassan, who are with Vice News. They're on the ground right now uh, in Turkey, uh, in southern Turkey, on the way to a hospital to speak to uh, victims of the earthquake. Um, uh, This question could either be for Hind or, or Lema. Uh, this a lot of the people that are impacted by this uh, earthquake in southern turkey are actually refugees from syria there's like a few million a couple of million if not more syrians displaced syrians that crossed over into turkey and are in southern turkey that have been living there Uh, some of these people are um, you know we're trying to just put their lives back together how is this impacting those communities that may not have support networks there And now that they've lost their home or their temporary home, and um, they're on the streets, is there adequate shelter? Or obviously there's not adequate shelter, but what are people trying to do to provide shelter? Or what are people doing? Are they moving inwards into Turkey? Uh, What is the situation like there? um, And what have you learned about them? Well,
1: Ahmed, officially there about four million refugees who live here but the number is much much higher and a lot of these people they already escaped you know some of the worst days of their lives um you know constant bombing and arrests um and they came to turkey because they wanted you know more secure life and now they're going to have to rebuild again um a lot of them unfortunately died in this incident along with you know the people living in the country here and uh other ones are just going to have to, you know, find shelter, um, just like every victim of this earthquake.
0: Welcome back to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Samar. You were uh, listening to a, um, an interview that I did over WhatsApp in a series of voice notes um, with reporters from Vice News who were live on the ground Um, in southern Turkey and they were talking about the um, impact and the the destruction that they were seeing. They're actually, uh, the reason why you heard this um, ongoing kind of engine in the background is because they were on the road stuck in traffic uh, on the way to a hospital Um, and it's understandable that that's uh, what's happening. So now joining me in the studio is Imam Derek Pete? He's actually been on True Talk for the last two episodes. I invite him back today because of just to kind of try to make some sense into these type of disasters. One, of course, when looking at this, um, our focus needs to be on uh, helping the victims. And uh, there are many ways to do that. You can go online and find organizations um, that you can donate to. Uh, the closer they are, that they have offices there, the better uh, the um, you know Turkish Red Crescent themselves uh, they have operations as well as the Turkish government they have different um, charitable uh, arms that they're uh, you know focusing on rescue efforts uh, in Turkey. So, um, but and of course that was you know the scenes that they're describing there and as well as what I heard from people that I talked to that were impacted. In fact, yesterday I actually talked to someone who, um, you know, was there in Antakya, in Hatay, and their building collapsed, or at least one wall collapsed on them, and uh, he ended up losing his child, a four-year-old boy, and then his daughter, who's 15, was also impacted, but she uh, survived, but is uh, not able to move, so they rushed her to a hospital, and he was describing, basically, he said it, it was like end of times, it was like the day of judgment, he kept saying that, it was scenes whatever i you know he imagined the day of judgment to be that that was it it was end of times so much destruction and he had no other words to describe it and they had to make their way to find some sort of transportation through a chain of buses and they ended up uh, hundreds of miles away to a place where they don't know anything about they were only able to escape with the clothes on their back and it's like freezing cold out there you know sub um uh, Zero temperatures in Celsius, uh, like freezing at night, especially, and they had just had a, a, a storm. So I'm now joined by um, Derek Pete in the studio with me. What is your reaction when you heard about this uh, earthquake? You
3: know, immediate Mediate, uh, reaction is immediate um, <clears throat> reaction um, is to you know say Hospital law niyatmu that Allah is the best. Um, helper and that we need his aid in these sorts of situations and it's really just to I guess to catch oneself and to you know, feel remorse but then to because so much is happening there I'm just being very honest right mm-hmm. that so much is happening there now that you kind of want to make meaning out of it you want to make sense of this oh why is this happening again I'm just being very direct right? Um, so for, for me immediately I have to think okay wow you know, subhanAllah, This isn't you know that's a this is a area that's already hard hit by civil war, and all sorts of civil strife. ISIS is still in the area. Different factions are fighting, and then you have this earthquake that earthquake that it hits. So for me, it's like you know, okay, where does this fit in with our, um, with our understanding and our dean? Um, deen means uh, our uh, faith, our yeah, religion, our, our religion, and how do we um, find meaning in this? How do we find solace in this? So that's, that was my immediate reaction, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of other Muslims felt the same exact way.
0: Um, before I go any further, I just want to just say that in the studio you brought with you today, your wife and your child. Uh, how old is your child? So she's two
3: years old next month. Two
0: years old, because I hear the breathing into the mic, and then the listeners might be like, well, "What's happening over there?" Um, so. And No, it's it's okay. So, But what's the significance? Because
3: I guess your, your wife is actually Syrian, right? Yeah, so my wife is from Syria, and um, some of their family, um, they live in the north, and they were directly impacted by the earthquake. Um, and also, I mean, the earthquake is, was felt as far south as Lebanon, and I think up until yesterday, they were telling me that they were still feeling aftershocks. Right. Um, so, you know, my immediate reaction to that was, this is um, really unusual. Yeah,
0: for, for a natural disaster to take place that covers something like 600 kilos, uh, you know, 250, 300 miles, it's a huge space. Like I, somebody was telling me yesterday, when the hurricane hit Panama City, it, years later, they still haven't recovered in Panama City. And this is the United States of America. And that's Panama City. It, it was only 18-mile radius, mm-hmm. a 20-mile radius. Now imagine something as far as 250 miles. That's that's as big as some countries possibly. That's like as wide as Florida and um, and so many people uh, that are dead. I do want to, because I think your wife wants to step out, but I do want to ask her, because she is Syrian, um, before we get into uh, the faith aspect, um, you can put on those headphones. Um. What is your name? Yeah, Hadil Okay, sorry Go ahead again Hadil uh, Hadil So Hadil, you're from Syria uh, What's happening? What are you hearing from Syria right now? What are conditions there?
4: Uh, I heard that it's a pretty catas- catastrophic um, No help and no aid has reached so far uh, very little reach to the capital, Damascus. Um, but the north, the north area, um, the places that are not under the um, the control of the regime, they are still struggling. Even areas that are under the control of the regime are struggling. This morning, uh, my family was telling me that uh, the city of Jeble in the north is pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Um, whole neighborhoods are on on the floor and they still didn't get help. Um,
0: so, when you say regime under the control of the regime and not under, what does that mean for listeners that don't know?
4: So, basically, after the war, uh, we kind of have um, the country divided. Uh, the north area is with the um, uh, with the, with the um, rebels or the opposition. Rebels or the opposition, and the the south and the east area of the country is under the um, control of the regime. Uh, a lot of the help is getting into the country through the areas where the regime is and getting to Damascus where the capital is. but um, they're still unable and that's what I heard on the Arabic news that they're still unable to get any help through the north yet uh, for one reason or, or for one reason or the other. Um, there are still people who um, are under under rumbles and their chances of survival now it's getting close to zero. Uh, after four days of the disaster, um, uh, I um, I watched a lot of reports from the um, White Helmets. I don't know if you are familiar right. with it.
0: Right, well, I'm familiar with it, but our our listeners may not be familiar. The White Helmets is a civil society. They're basically like uh, you know first responders, um, and they and they have ambulances and they wear helmets. They're like, you know, because of the rubble and the war. So they distinguish themselves by wearing these white helmets and they go rescue people.
4: Right. And they do not have enough equipments to help people. So I would call from this uh, place, from my place now, I would call people, please donate to uh, the organizations associated with the white helmets because they are in desperate need and they are there in the ground. They are digging by hand sometimes because they do not have enough equipment. That's
0: what I heard that the the difference between southern Turkey and Syria is that Syria has the heavy equipment and the machinery and the infrastructure to help with the rubble and to help people get out where in Syria they don't have as much uh, of the sophisticated heavy equipment because of the civil war. But before you go... uh, You know, your country, your homeland, because you're also an American, but your place where you come from, uh, you know, it's been under devastation now for over a decade. You know, the civil war, the fighting, uh, so many countries got involved, so many bombings, and now, you know, (laughs) this happens. Uh, I read somewhere that this earthquake is equal in power to like 300 atomic bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima, like the magnitude, I think it's 300 maybe, anyway, it's a lot of atomic bombs, so much destruction. How are people expected? You know, how are people there? Expect you know, how are they dealing with this?
4: I, I feel like they're in shock. They st- they still don't understand what happened. Like mm-hmm. um, ten years of war, we didn't die. We're dying from the earthquake now. Uh, people are staying in front of the rumble of their buildings because half of their family is still under the rumble, um, thinking that. Uh, Like, they're not eating. They're in extreme, uh, extremely cold. They don't have basic, not even a blanket to wrap themselves with. Um, Somebody told us today that some of those people, they need a sandwich. They've been there just, like, trying to dig by hands for days now, trying to, like, look for their family under the rumble. Um, But I see, like, shock I see people are just sitting there looking at the rumble after four days, not believing uh, what's going on. Like, they don't understand it. They can't, they can't like, understand what happened Grasp. and how to deal with it and what they're supposed to do now. Like, what's the next step?
0: Thank you um, for that. Now, uh, speaking of what's the next step and making sense of it, um, Imam Derek Pete. Um, Hadil is married to Derek Pete, who happens to be an imam. It's basically a spiritual guide um, in the Muslim faith. Uh, this is hitting a Muslim community, Muslim majority community. Um, how, how do we make sense of these natural disasters, whether they're here, they're abroad? You know, some people, especially people that don't believe in God, and they'll say, you know, questions like, "If there's a God, how does He allow
3: this suffering to take place?" Mm-hmm. Most immediate thing um, to understand these such events that these events um, were the first response that any human being should have. And I say human being, human being, human being. First response is to say, what can I do to help? What can I do to leave that situation? And that should be the point of departure. Because we allow ourselves to have certain responses that really, really cripple us. They de- they disable us like, Oh, how could this have happened? Especially as an American, we're sitting in a- air conditioned right now. We have certain lug- luxuries that much of the world doesn't have. And when we allow ourselves to be, to be, um, really uh, disabled by like a catastrophe, especially when it happens to someone else, then, um, you know, we, with have to really re re, we have to rethink how we're looking at the world. Right. Because, um, Immediately when a disaster happens, of course, we say, okay, you know, we, you know, we mentioned that Allah isn't, you know, we remember that Allah is in charge of these things, but we have to immediately have the response, okay, what can I do as a human being? And also furthermore, as believers to help that situation and then take that situation as an opportunity to, to, um, to show our humanity and to assist others and to put others before ourselves and to take that up, take it as, take it as an opportunity for service. Whether that's directly, maybe traveling there or donating, my wife just talked about the white helmets. You know, I'd like to ask her what are some ways that they can donate to that project, to the white helmets. Can you,
0: um, when you speak, I guess somebody said that your voice is very low. Just bring up, keep the mic uh, close.
4: Okay, is that better? Yeah. Okay. Um, I honestly wasn't planning to be on air today so I did not do my research but I know that there are organizations who support the white helmets um, got willing I have to like um, Google it to make sure which of those organizations that donate directly to them and give directly to them but I honestly don't know names of our organizations okay
3: so but but uh, focus
0: on and search for white white helmets oh, white helmet. the white helmets um, because that's specifically for Syria relief, right? Because inside Syria, inside. a lot of the organizations are not even able to get inside and there's all this uh, politics. Many countries are not actually responding and helping within Syria because they they can't deal with Bashar al-Assad's regime or they have political problems sure. or they are unsure if the aid will actually get there. Uh, but from what you're saying... And, from generally, from uh, what we've seen online and from uh, media outlets, is that the white helmets, uh, you know, eight to them does get inside, and they're in a part of the country where the government is not operating. Um, you sure. know, they're working in areas where the the, the Syrian regime is not there. Um,
4: At the areas of the Syrian regime. I think the people who are active are the Red Crescent.
0: Red Crescent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now were parts in the in the, within the Syrian regime controlled parts also uh, heavily hit. Uh, yes, oh,
4: yes, yes, yes. Okay. The entire north area, and like um, I would say, half of it is the area of the revolutionaries, and a uh, half of it is the area of the regime. And both areas needs help.
0: It just seems like with something like this, Imam, it would kind of put in perspective for all people. The ones that were fighting and the ones that were not, and uh, the victims and and the people in power—that you know, something like this puts should should you know send a message. You would think that hey, it's not worth fighting. That in fact uh, we need to be united to save people's lives, put our differences aside, and try to you know that all of it can just go away with uh, an
3: earthquake. Hundred percent, it shows us the fragility of life, and it I think that these events, they focus, I mean, they make us focus and they force us to ask the question, okay, why did this happen? It's almost like a natural human response. Why did this happen?
0: Is you it know, sacrilegious to even ask why? Because, I mean, some um, people will say, like, you
3: don't question God's wisdom. Well, it's, 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 from, the, it's from human nature that we're going to ask why. Right. right? Even the angels ask why. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, What's remember the surah al-Baqarah that they say, "Why are you creating this human being that's going to, you know, sp- shed blood and spread corruption on the earth?" The angels ask why, so then the human being asks why. Um, so it's something that we embrace the why, but it's also important that we sit down and actually explore that why and come together and unify on answering. Okay, what really happened here? And maybe if we sit down and focus long enough, we'll see that. Um, can be a source of unity and also a source for us to figure ourselves out. As you mentioned, to maybe put the arms down and become together as a people and find frameworks and find some way to really get along, to provide a better future for the country and the youth and to to really see beyond ideology and, and political factionism and all these different other isms that are really only designed... To keep people divided, to put them down, right? So I think um, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of thought to be put into, um, um, put towards healing, right? That this is now a catastrophic event that we're forced to, um, you know, to ask certain questions, and I think um, we do ourselves a favor when we ask those questions, but then find appropriate, appropriate answers. Um, and of course, for us as Muslims, that those answers come through, you know. Uh, Come through our faith. And what
0: does um, your faith uh, and, say about a tragedy uh, like this? I mean, is this is this
3: something that will turn people towards God or away from God? It, it's funny. I think um, in most cases, if we look at the Islamic history, that these sort of calamities—we want a historical sort of or a, a historical or sociological study—we can see that Muslims have always responded with, to these sort of calamities with an increase in faith. With an increase in their reliance upon Allah. And usually, after calamities like these, there is much ease that comes. So, Allah says in the Quran: Innama al-usri yusra, Innama al-usri yusra, That with difficulty, with a, with a specific difficulty, comes an ease. With a specific difficulty, comes an ease. Meaning to say, with a calamity, with a particular calamity like this, earthquake comes an ease, and with this particular, this is what the, the Quran says. So, with this particular calamity, there will be two eases. Allah mentions ease twice, twice. So, I mean, it's hard to, for
0: people that were impacted to see the ease right now. Where is the ease, mm-hmm. and when is it coming? It,
3: it comes thereafter, and this is this is how it's been historically for Muslims. Um, especially in that part of the world, you have instability, but then if we want to take a historical example, we have the mongol mongol invasions of of the middle east um, and the mongols the eventually many of them but then embrace islam and then we have this cross culturing or cross Uh, Fertilization that happens between Mongolian culture and Islamic the Islamic cultures that were there before, and then you have um, a really really powerful empire that that develops in the northern part of um, Kurdistan and also the Golden Horde, Um, the um, you know these places that were on the Middle Eastern Silk Route, and these become really really rich empires. Um, that's just a historical example. So you have calamity, something that's really debilitating, but then there's a partic- there's a divine wisdom there. And that always is proven to be the case in Islamic history. Um, yeah, so if we wanted a historical analysis, we can look at the history. Um, I wanted to take the opportunity to, um, I guess, speak about how, as Muslims, what what's the appropriate response, and really as human beings, what's the appropriate response? Can you
0: do that in uh, ninety seconds?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, the appropriate response is, is to say, "Okay, this has happened, but we know, as as believers, that God is in control and that God has wisdom. There's wisdom inherent in what He does. That's a fundal, fundamental part of anything that God does. That there is wisdom. Where's that wisdom? How do we respond?" Immediate response is to say, okay, how can I help? How can I donate? How can I be a part of that healing? How can I be a part of that ease? How can I come to know God through what has happened here? How can I gain nearness to him and alleviate the situation of my brothers and sisters overseas? Whether that's as a Muslim, brothers and sisters, or as human beings, how can we alleviate that suffering? How can we be active? How can we help how can we also heal ourselves and open up ourselves to learn about other people and kind of kind of embrace that suffering, embrace that, that hurt? Not to say we want to be hurt, but that we want to feel for other people. We want to empathize. We want to feel for them. We want to connect to them. We want to grow in our own humanity. This is a unique opportunity for that. And I think these are the best sort of questions to ask and also the best sort of solutions to say, okay, we've been hit. hit. How do we roll with that punch? How do we respond in a way that's positive, that's um, that's constructive? Thank you so much. That was Imam
0: Derek Pete trying to make some sense out of this tragedy and earthquakes that have happened in Turkey. Um, as it was urged, uh, do what you can to donate the people there to uh, trusted organizations. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. This has been True Talk on WMNF 88.5, WMNF Tampa. NPR News is next. Have a great weekend and uh, please pray for those uh, in southern Turkey and in Syria.